Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Pray for us. Father, we open the truth of your word this morning, not because of... um, Well, not because of anything that we can say, but because you have things to say. And Father, I stand here right now, having prepared this week and prayed, Lord, but I just... Lord, I just beg of you right now to speak through me, Lord. Not not what I would say, but what you would say. Father, I pray the truth of your word would be very obvious to us. I pray it would be impactful, Lord. It would, it would be challenging. Lord, I pray you would compel us to live differently, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you would, um, as you speak to us, Father, just give us the ability to hear and to know and to understand and be challenged by your truth. And Lord, I continue to pray every Sunday morning that that through our services and through our study, Lord, and through your word, that we would be transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and open to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Last week, Easter was an incredible Sunday morning, and I was so excited by what we accomplished and all the people that were there. And, and I just want to thank you again for not only your participation, but for that last song. I know some of you were in the 830 and some of you were in the 1030, but that last song that we sang and videoed, we've been editing this week, and we're going to send that on to the missionaries this week. I'm just telling you, they're going to be so encouraged. I was encouraged when I watched it again. So powerful to have the body of Christ together singing praises and, and singing a song that will encourage those missionaries. And I just want to, again, thank you for that and continue to remind you and continue to encourage you every moment you think about missionaries overseas to pray for them. Many of those precious people are in very dark places spiritually, in places where the name of Jesus is not proclaimed very often. Sometimes it's illegal when it's proclaimed. And so we need to lift them up every opportunity we have in our prayers. We continue this week through the study of Genesis Now, just to remind you of kind of where we've gone and to kind of paint a picture of where we're going to go over the next few weeks, we've studied now the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. We did one and two, which is creation account as a picture of God's power and his majesty and his design and his plan preparing everything for life. Genesis chapter three is the fall of mankind, right? Adam and Eve sin. Sin enters the world. Death enters the world. From Genesis three, we turn this corner. Everything changes. Now, we're going to see something interesting from this point forward. Everything we've been studying up to this point in our scripture has taken place really in the Garden of Eden. Creation, the creation of all the the animals and the plants and Adam and Eve and then the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. All that is right in the middle and found right inside the Garden of Eden. But beginning in Genesis chapter 4, we're going to move outside of that. Genesis chapter 3 is the sin enters the world. Genesis chapter 4, and this is important, from this point forward in Scripture, the remainder of the Bible, and if you just did kind of a little, you know, just kind of a little estimate, you see this amount here, we study this, this is the rest of the Bible. All of this is about God's redemptive plan for humanity. It's not 66 isolated books that don't relate to each other. There's one story, there's a theme, there's a common thread throughout, and it's this. God has a plan to buy his people back. Now, we ultimately see that in Christ Jesus, but we're going to build to that point 
all through the scriptures. And so over the next few weeks, as we continue to study through the book of Genesis, we're going to see this. Now, let me give you kind of a synopsis of chapter 4, and then we're going to jump right into this text this morning. Chapter 4, if we were going to kind of summarize it, we could say it like this. We begin to see in Genesis chapter 4 this picture of the spread of a godless society. Now, we talked a few weeks ago about how sin kind of spirals out of control farther and farther from the things of the Lord. We're going to see that now in Genesis chapter 4. We're going to see the sin of Adam and Eve affecting Cain and Abel and generations to come. And we're going to see this picture of society moving farther and farther and farther away from the things of the Lord. Man, very simply in our context, is in rebellion against God. Now, before I read this text, I want to challenge you with something this morning. Here's kind of what I want you to think through as we're reading this together. Some of you this morning are going to find yourself in this story. Now, Cain is a man who has separated himself from the Lord. He's going to rebel against the Lord. He's going to flee from the things of God. And I just want to encourage you, in a church our size, I can assure you somebody this morning is fleeing from the things of God. Maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and this is the day you need to repent of your sins and accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and for whatever reason, over the last little while, months, or days, or weeks, or years, or whatever it looks like in your life, you slowly moved away from the things of Christ. I want to encourage you this morning as we study this passage of Scripture, and we're going to see kind of in the end that there's always hope in Christ. God always stands with arms open, ready to receive and give you grace. So this morning we're going to begin reading in Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We'll study the first 17 verses. We're going to break it into some chunks. We'll do 1 through 5 to begin. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought forth the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now we're going to stop there for a second and we're going to kind of paint this picture in Genesis chapter 4 of Cain. Now the whole chapter is really about Cain. Adam and Eve are mentioned, but we're kind of done with their story now. We'll mention them in a couple other places in the book of Genesis and the New Testament refers back to them, but the, the narrative of their story at this point in Genesis 4 is over. We're moving beyond them and in chapter 4 we're going to begin to see Cain and there's some truths that I want you to understand about Cain. Here's number one. As we try to understand who Cain was and what motivated him and how to live our lives different than Cain lived his, here's truth number one. Cain's heart was far from the things of the Lord. Cain very simply was in rebellion against God. Now Adam and Eve in our text in the beginning of chapter 4 had a son. There's something kind of interesting about Cain. You may have never considered this before, but Adam and Eve were both created. We know the story, Genesis 1 and 2. But the Bible tells us that Cain was born. He's the first person born on the planet Earth. The Bible tells us that Cain is born at some point later. And some people even believe maybe they were twins. The Bible doesn't necessarily indicate that. But at some point later, Abel was born. Now we see some promises beginning to be fulfilled. I'll remind you, in Genesis 1 and 2, 
God gave promises to Adam and Eve about how he was going to bless them and how the, Lord was, how the world was going to be blessed through them. We begin to see some of those promises fulfilled in Cain. There's two particular ones I want to point out to you. Number one, the promise to be fruitful and multiply is seen here. Now, let me remind you of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. There's this promise that, remember, even in the midst of sinfulness, even in the middle of mistakes, even in the middle of open rebellion against the Lord, he's still going to fulfill his promises. Here's kind of a sub-truth for us. Even when we're unfaithful, the Lord is always faithful. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Even when we step away from his promises, he still fulfills them. I think some of us need to hear that this morning. Because sometimes it's easy for us to step away from the Lord and think that maybe the Lord's moved. The Lord hadn't moved, I promise you that. You have. And so we see even in the midst of this kind of strange sinfulness and this godless society, God is still going to fulfill his promise. That's one of the truths we see. But here's the second promise fulfilled. The sin that Adam and Eve brought into the world affects their children and generations to come. I think we lie to ourselves sometimes and we say that the sin that we commit only affects our own lives. If we're not very careful, the sin that we allow to creep into our lives not only affects our life, but it affects the lives of the people that live around us, the people that we love, the people that we spend our lives with. And we see this very clear picture of the sin that entered the world now going to begin to affect not only Cain, but every point in Scripture and every person in the world moving forward are all affected by the sin of Adam and Eve. Now, these two brothers grow up. The Bible tells us they have some fruit and some, some animals and some livestock. And the Bible tells us at some point in the future, we don't know exactly how long the timeline is here, Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord. And they're two very distinct offerings. Cain brings some fruit of the soil, the Bible tells us. And Abel brings some fat portions and some first fruit of his flock. But there's a problem. Look with me again at the end of verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5. The Bible says as they bring these offerings that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now there's a lot of debate as to why these two men were one accepted and one not accepted. Why did the Lord take Abel's offering and refuse to take Cain's offering? And there's some different opinions and there's some different things we can say. And some would say, well, it's because one offering was a grain offering and the other was a livestock. And the Lord wanted a livestock offering. He wanted the, the blood of the sacrifice because it pointed to the Messiah. And he didn't want to accept the grain offering. The problem with that line of thinking is there's no scriptural evidence to support this. It's not what the Bible says. In fact, if you were to read through the Old Testament, you would see there are several occasions where a grain offering was not only asked for, but accepted by the Lord. So I don't think we need to say it had really anything to do with what they offered. Some would say, well, it's the amount that they gave. Maybe Abel gave a lot more and Cain gave just a little. But again, there's, there's really no scriptural evidence to help support this. I think the Bible gives us kind of a, a clear picture if we begin to study not only this verse, but some other verses of Scripture that speak of this story, and I want to do that because I think this particular point is important for us to understand. Why did God accept one and not accept others? Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. The Bible says, By faith, 
Abel brought God a better offering. There's a little clue here, looking back from the New Testament to the Old. God brought a better offering than Cain by faith, and they've used faith now twice here. He was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering, and by faith, there it is the third time in verse 4 of Hebrews 11, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. There's this sense that Abel offered a better offering, but he offered it in faith. Now, I want to make a statement to you, some of you have probably never considered before. We talk about giving, and oftentimes money comes up. It's, it's sometimes about money, but oftentimes it's about a lot of other things. When you give to the Lord, it's never really about how much you give or what you give. It's about your faith to the Lord when you give it. Did you know that? I'm going to just kind of drop a bomb on you right now. The Lord doesn't need your money. Did you, did you know that? Are you aware of that? Now, I'm standing up here thinking, wow, you know, it is nice when we get it because we can pay the bills. But the Lord doesn't need your money. Whether you give or not is irrelevant to the Lord. But what the Lord does need is your heart. And when you decide to give the Lord, whether it's a certain amount of money or a certain amount of time or effort or talents, what you're, what you're ultimately saying to the Lord is, Lord, I trust you enough to give you all this that you're still going to provide for me. I trust you enough that I can give all this away to you, Lord, and you're still going to love me and you're still going to be here for me. And so we see this distinction, right? We see this distinction that, that Abel's going to give a better offering, but he's going to do it in faith. 1 John 3, 11 and 12 clues us in a little bit more to this offering, and, and we're, we're leading up to something I want you to see here in just a few minutes. Here's what 1 John 3 says. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So 1 John 3 clues us in that, that Abel's going to give a fat portion. He's going to give some of his best. He's going to give the firstborn of his flock. Contrast that with Cain, who the Bible says is going to give some of his fruit. We get this sense here that he's not really giving his best. Now, here's the truth that I think we need to glean from this and understand and apply to our lives. When we give God our best, when we have a grateful heart, we're willing to serve God with everything that we have. But the problem too many followers of Christ have is this. We're not really willing to give Him our best, are we? We're willing to give Him whatever's left over. God, I've got, all the, I've got this schedule I've got to keep and I've got all these appointments and all this time and all these meetings. And then when I'm done with all that, when I've done all that and I'm exhausted at the end of the day and ready for bed, I'm going to give you the last seven and a half minutes. I'm going to pray before I fall asleep and then we're good, right, Lord? Or, Lord, I'm going to um, give some money to the church, but I'm going to pay all these bills and spend and do all these things. And then whatever little bit, I don't care what percentage it is, whatever is left over, Lord, I'm going to give that to you at the end. Here's a truth that I think a lot of us don't necessarily understand scripturally. Just because you give something to the Lord doesn't mean it's pleasing to Him. You ever thought about that? Cain gave something. He absolutely offered something to the Lord and the Lord wasn't pleased with it. Why? Because Cain's heart wasn't right. Cain didn't give his best. Cain gave some of the fruit. Abel gave the fat portion and the first of his fruit, the first of his livestock. 
Abel said, Lord, I'm going to give you the best that I have, and then I'm going to survive on whatever's left over. Cain said, I'm going to survive on what I have and give you whatever's left over. There's a big difference, isn't there? Some of us find ourselves kind of living this life. We may say something like this as we think about our heart condition and whether or not we're giving the Lord our best. Some of you would say something like this. I'm going to go to church this morning, but I'm not going to be happy about it. I mean, I sure would be rather be doing something else. I mean, my wife's been on me and my kids have been on me. And my Sunday school teacher called me last week. So I'm going to go this week, but I, I'm really not happy about it. Do you think that's giving the Lord your best? Do you think when you pull in the parking lot with that kind of attitude, the Lord goes, yes, all right. Hey, you know what? I don't want to be here either, but I have to. I'm the Lord, right? So I'm just showing. He that's not how he lives. He doesn't want second best. He wants best. Some of you say, I'm going to give a little bit of money to the church or to a charity or whatever it looks like. I'm going to give something to the Lord for him to use, but I sure would rather not do it. <laughs> Promise you, I'd rather be spending that money somewhere else. Do you think the Lord's pleased when we give with an ungrateful heart? How about this? Some of you say something like this. Well, I'm going to serve in that ministry, but I sure am going to complain about it the whole time I do. I'm going to do it because they asked me. Phillips called me. He's been calling me for weeks. I love Philip, and so I'm going to serve, but I sure am going to complain to my spouse when I get home about it. I promise you that, and I'll never do it again, right? Do you think the Lord's pleased with that? I think we have this sense sometimes that as long as we do some things, as long as it's kind of whatever and we just show up, the Lord's going to be overjoyed and excited. There's a, there's a clear picture in this scripture in Genesis 4 that just because we offer something to the Lord doesn't mean it's pleasing to him. When you willingly don't give the Lord your best, I don't think the Lord's pleased with that. Amy and I have always kind of had a commitment. We've just, I don't know, looking back on life, I'm not sure we even had the conversation about it. We've always just given to the church. We've always tithed. That's always been our, our personal conviction. We've always given 10% of the gross, not the net, right? Before taxes, 10%. That's always, we always start there. And I'll never forget, there have been some times in our life where we've not done well. We've been struggling. We taught school for a number of years. And if you teach school, you know where, I, you know where I'm at, right? You know that. I'll never forget when we were first married, we were struggling a little bit with finances and we weren't quite sure what to do and we decided we were going to pray a little bit about it. And so we both prayed about it for a couple weeks. I don't even remember the time frame. We came back together and we both had this sense that we needed to give more to the Lord. And we started giving 15%. You know what the Lord did in that moment in our life? He blessed us like you wouldn't believe. We never missed a meal. We never missed a rent payment. We never missed any sort of payment. Why? Because the Lord wants our best. I'll never forget last year. During our missions offering, Amy and I had decided we were going to give, and, and I just encourage you to, to support Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. And by the way, you can still give to Annie Armstrong, the Easter offering. All the money you give goes to North American missions. Lottie Moon at Christmas goes to international missions. Annie Armstrong at Easter goes to North American missions. And then we've been doing our missions offering here at the church, and the Lord's just blessed our church through that the last three years. And Amy and I just kind of felt compelled last year to give a little bit more than we've ever given. And we prayed about it, and we talked about it, and we, did, we don't just show up. I want you to know, this is from my heart here. We don't just show up one Sunday morning and go, I don't know, what do you think? Let's just say whatever. We talk about it. It's a conversation for us. And we decided to give a little bit more than we'd ever given. It was a little bit of a stretch for us. We gave it in faith with a grateful heart, and I'll never forget that same Sunday morning. That same Sunday morning, we gave that offering. This was just before we went to Zambia last year. That same Sunday morning, we gave that offering. We went to lunch at a local restaurant in town like so many of you do. And we're standing in line at the restaurant. And, and Amy can verify this story if you don't believe me. I hope you do. But she can verify it if you don't. A man who's not even a member of our church 
came up to me and he said, listen, we know what you guys are doing. We know that you're going to Zambia. We know you're taking your family for a month. We support you. And the Lord, for whatever reason, called us to give you some money to help you go. And he handed me a check for the exact amount I'd put in the offering that morning to the missions fund. Now, you tell me the Lord's not at work. You tell me the Lord doesn't bless us when we give our best. You tell me he doesn't care about what we're doing in our life. He does. Now, here's something to think about just for a second. I'm going to scare you just for a second. You ready? When you give the Lord your leftovers, should you expect him to give you his leftovers? You want the Lord's best, don't you? Why don't we give him our best? See, Cain made an offering to the Lord, and it wasn't pleasing because it wasn't his best. And because of his rebellion, and because he had strayed from the Lord, and because he was moving away from the things of the Lord, it's going to lead him to a place we're going to see now in verse 6. Follow with me. Let's see where the rebellion leads. Let's pick up in verse 6 now, Genesis 4. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, right? So there's this sense that Cain is angry, he's upset, he's downcast. Why? Because he didn't give his best and the Lord wasn't pleased. Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Right? So the Lord's kind of given Cain a choice here. And we're going to delve into that in just a second. Verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Now here's the second truth, right? As we see this idea of sin and rebellion and separating from the Lord and not giving the Lord our best, let's see where this rebellion leads us. Here's the second truth I want you to see. Cain's rebellion against God led to death. You understand that? Cain's rebellion against God led to death. Now, verse 6 gives us this picture that he's upset, right? He's downcast. He's, he's pretty angry that the Lord didn't accept his offering. But verse 7 is very interesting, and I want to think through it just for a few minutes. The Lord gives him kind of this contrasting picture, these two choices in verse 7. Here's what he says to Cain. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted, right? So there's choice number one. That's what's behind door number one, right? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God makes this kind of clear distinction here. If you do what's right, you will be accepted. If you make wise choices, you will be blessed. If you do what's wrong, sin is going to overtake you. Now those of you that are a little more mature in your faith, you may understand this better than some that are not. But sin and rebellion against God is a very slippery slope you're going to find yourself straying farther and farther and farther away from the Lord if you don't take control of your actions and make wise choices now wise choices for some of you is different from others students your wise choice may mean you choose your friends wisely that's important it may mean you don't go to certain parties students it may, may mean you don't date certain people as you're a little bit older, it may mean that you don't say certain things at work or you don't act a certain way at lunch or you don't treat your spouse or your children a certain way. It just 
Everybody's different. We're all in different walks of life. But the Lord's very clear. We need to see that wise choices are important. And we need to understand the danger of sin. Listen how it's described again in verse 7. Right? If you do what's right, you're going to be accepted. Live righteous. Be blessed. Find the favor of the Lord. But here's the second part. If you don't do what's right, look at the second part of verse 7. Sin is, and here's how it's described, crouching at your door. See that? It desires to have you but you must rule over it. There's this sense of of an animal hiding, right? Lurking in the shadows, crouching. And when you come by the unsuspecting prey, sin leaps upon you and it attacks you and it kills you and it devours you. Given the chance, the enemy will control you and ensnare you and chain you. Now, we had just an incredible week a couple weeks ago in Guatemala, and I've told some of these stories, and I I just want to keep telling them because I want you to understand clearly the Lord is at work all over the world. We had this amazing opportunity while we were down there because we had 63 people with us in that small little village. We were able to do evangelism every single day on a pretty large scale. Now, every time we go on one of these trips, we always do evangelism, but because sometimes we're limited in numbers, we can't send out as many. So every day we were there, we sent four evangelism teams. Two in the morning, two after lunch. And they consisted of four to five people. You've got three or four Rosemont people. You've got the interpreter that can speak from English to Spanish. Now watch this. Then you've got the local person who can speak from Spanish to the Mayan language, Sutuhil. Because a lot of the people in the jungle don't speak Spanish. And so you go to witness in this village in the middle of the jungle, and you're saying in English, it gets translated to Spanish, it gets translated to the Mayan language. Then that person wants to say something back. They say it in the Mayan language. It gets translated to Spanish. It gets translated to English. That makes for a very interesting evangelism encounter. And so we sent out these teams all week. We're sending teams in the jungle. People are, are praying to receive Christ. We're praying over sick people. Just an, an incredible time. But the very, very last day, one of our teams had gone out, kind of a good little walk from the... And we walk everywhere we go. Had walked a good ways and down into the jungle. And they'd come across this house where there was a mom and a couple of kids, and there was a teenage boy. And the teenage boy, the mom said several years ago, had started complaining about his head hurting, and and he had just changed. And she didn't know if it was mental illness or if it was demon possession, and she she couldn't control him. Over the last couple of years, he'd become more and more violent. And so two years ago, in order to control this young boy, this teenage boy, the mother had chained him to the house. Now, I don't mean she chained him at night. I mean she put a big chain, one of the biggest chains I've ever seen, around his ankles. She put a padlock on that chain, and she left him there for the last two years. She brings him his food. He's got a little mat there under the awning of the porch where he sleeps, and that's his life for the last two years. So we started talking as a team, what do we need to do about this? What was the Excuse me, it was the last day and we were going to be leaving town with our, we had two buses full of people. And I said, you know what, on the way out of town, we're going to pull the buses over. And we're going to invite anybody that wants to go to walk to this house and just have prayer for this kid. And I was so excited because everybody went. That's a scary thing, walking in the middle of the jungle and you're about to go see a guy who's chained. You don't know if he's demon possessed or if he's, there's some mental illness. You don't understand it. So we all in faith got out of the bus and walked down and just kind of surrounded that kid. So just kind of understand the picture here. We're in the middle of the jungle poverty all around us this guatemalan boy chained with his heavy chain in the corner of the porch his mother two other children standing there and 63 americans and some of our guatemalan translators with probably 75 people 
surround this kid, and we, we literally just put our hands on him as many as could and hands on the people behind us. And I told our team, I want you to do two things. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to pray in the name of Jesus Christ multiple times. You need to mention the name Jesus. Call on the name Jesus. That's the first thing I want you to do. And the second thing I want you to do is pray audibly. I don't want silent prayers. I don't want whispers. I want you to pray in a loud voice as if you're the only person praying and you're trying to let everybody hear you. And so we started praying as a team. And I'll I'll never forget that moment, those eight or ten minutes we stood with our hands on that boy and just the prayers of the Lord, the name of Christ, just echoing through that jungle. It was amazing. But of all the things I'll never forget, I'll never forget that precious mama standing probably 10 feet behind me and I couldn't see her because there were so many people I wasn't facing her, but I could hear her. And she cried out for her son. She cried out in the name of Christ over and over that Jesus would heal him and that a miraculous thing would be done. I'll just never forget her tears and her weeping and what that meant for her, all these believers to surround that boy and to pray for him. My prayer, now I don't know, my prayer is when we go back next year, he's healed. I don't know, we'll see. I'm gonna keep praying for him. But it was such a clear picture to me as I stood there and watched and, and kind of understood the story. It was such a clear picture of what sin will do in our lives if we're not careful. It kind of sneaks up on us. And before we know it, we're kind of out of control. And it changes us and it binds us and it overtakes us. And if we allow it, it will control us. I think the Western Christian has allowed too much sin into our life. And I'll speak first. I'm, I'm at the head of life. We've allowed too many things to enter into our life, and we've been real slow to push sin away. And we let it creep, and we let it creep, and we let it creep, and more and more and more we're found farther and farther and farther from the things of the Lord. One writer said it like this. Cain's refusal to deal rightly with his sin permitted his anger to fester into murder. See, rebellion from the Lord, separation from the Lord leads us to do things and to places we don't want to go. So let's continue thinking through this story. We've seen the rebellion against the Lord. We've seen that the rebellion of God, rebellion against God leads to death. And now let's see ultimately where this rebellion takes Cain. Pick up with me in Genesis chapter 4 verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, he's just killed his brother. Where is your brother, Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Very, just pause for a second. It's interesting. Remember, the Lord has placed a curse on the ground in Genesis 3. You remember the story. And from the ground and through the curse, the blood of his dead brother cries out to him. As if the whole creation, even the ground aches because of the sinfulness of the world and the curse. Now, verse 11. Now, you are under a curse, speaking to Cain, and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. And no sense of remorse here. No sense of repentance from Cain. Just, Lord, I, I can't do this. It's too difficult For me today, verse 14, you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. 
But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Here's the third truth as we think about rebellion and sin and separation and death. Here's ultimately where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 4. The third truth this morning. Because of his rebellion, Cain was forever separated from the Lord. Because of his rebellion, Cain was forever separated from the Lord. Let me just remind you biblically that our sin leads to death. Okay? We cannot continue to sin and separate ourselves from the Lord and expect things to be as we want them. When we rebel against the Lord, it separates us from Him. Now, there's some interesting parallels here, and I think it makes the point that the the things that Adam and Eve dealt with and the sin they dealt with and the temptation they dealt with are the same sorts of things that Cain and Abel dealt with and the same sorts of things that we deal with even today. There's some interesting similarities. It's reminiscent of Genesis chapter 3. You may remember that after Adam and Eve had sinned, God came to them in Genesis chapter 3 verse 9 and the Lord called to the man, where are you? Now fast forward to Genesis chapter 4. Cain has killed his brother Abel. Genesis chapter 4 verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Right? Here's the, kind of the truth we draw to this. The Lord's always going to hold us accountable for our actions. You're not going to hide anything from the Lord. But unlike Adam, who repented of his sin at least and, and trusted in the Lord and was honest about what happened, Cain lies in verse 9. I don't know where my brother is. Am I my brother's keeper? And we see this distance from the, from the Lord growing. And then we were reminded of what happened after he spoke to Eve in Genesis chapter three thirteen. The Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, after Cain has killed his brother Abel, the Lord says, what is this you have done? Right? There's, this, there's this sense here of the sin affecting and walking through generations and causing pain all down through the line. It's the same thing we see in the rest of the book of Genesis. It's the same that we see all through the Bible. It's the same that we see even in our world today. But there's a, there's, there's a beautiful picture here. And I'm, I'm, I'm winding down on time, so stay with me for the next couple minutes. There's a beautiful picture here. Again, it just seems like after Genesis 3, we did 1 and 2, the creation, beautiful. It seems beginning in verse chapter 3, we've just seen sin and destruction, a widening swath of destruction. We're going to continue to see that for the next few verses. But, but even within all that, built within verses 15 and 16, is this kind of beautiful picture of who the Lord is. Cain is concerned he's going to be killed. He's going to be a wanderer. In verse 15, the Lord says to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance Seven times over, then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It's it's this interesting idea, and we're not going to debate what the sign is. There are all sorts of different opinions. What's the mark of Cain? What's the sign the Lord placed upon him? I don't think that's as important as understanding the point of what the Lord's doing here. Even in this moment of sinfulness, even in this moment of rebellion, Even in this moment of being separated from the things of the Lord, we see God's grace and his love towards this person. Now, I don't know about you, but I am thankful that even in the midst of my sinfulness, the Lord still offers grace. I'm thankful that even when I mess it up, which happens all the time, 
Even when I drop the ball and do something dumb that I know I shouldn't have done, even when I sin, the Lord still loves me. And the Lord still offers grace and the Lord still offers mercy. Some of you this morning are living in rebellion to God. Maybe you're living in rebellion to God because you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never tasted of that grace and mercy that the Lord offers so freely to you. Maybe some others of you have accepted Christ, but you've strayed away and you say, yeah, that's me, Adam. That's me. I accepted Christ and it was real. I know I'm a believer, but man, there's been some times lately where I've been straying away from the things of the Lord and and I'm not seeking Him like I should and I'm not making wise choices. I'm not being righteous and I find myself being separated farther and farther and farther from the things of the Lord. I want to encourage you, regardless of which of those two categories you fall in, you need to trust Christ. Whether it's the first time you've trusted Him or the first time in a long time. God wants to use you. And even in the midst of the mistakes that you've made and the difficulties that you face, there's grace and there's love and there's hope found always and only in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, Lord. Again, it's truth and it's compelling, Lord, and it challenges us to live our lives not like Cain lived, not separated from you, Lord, not, not sinful and rebellion against you, Father, but to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to you, to be righteous, to make wise choices, to give you our best, to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to you, Lord. And we confess to you, we don't do that. I confess to you, Lord, I don't do that. There are moments when I'm weak, there are moments when I sin, Father, and I just ask you, I ask you to forgive me, Lord. I ask you to make me aware more often, Lord, of the times that I fail you, Make me more aware of your grace and your mercy and your love, Father. Help us all to understand the importance of drawing near to you so you can use us. And Father, I pray, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in now, we would trust you. We would trust you not only with our possessions and the things that we have, but with our lives. And we do everything we can to live for you, to bring you honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes if you want to come to the altar and, and maybe you want to pray for someone that's struggling. You want to stand in the gap for somebody. Maybe for the first time you've recognized your separation from the Lord and you want to do something about that this morning. Maybe you want to join our church. But this is your time. You respond as we sing. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.